mentioned this in the first service. I want to say it in this service. Uh, we, uh, first of all, it's a joy to be back in front of your beautiful faces. Anytime anyone gets an opportunity to bring the gospel, whether it's to a group of people or to a single person in the checkout at, at Whole Paycheck, I mean Whole Foods, um, it's a real honor and joy to be able to bring the gospel, right? And uh, so um, we'll be, I'll be speaking here and there and, and um, definitely more than I have, but my mom and dad and Jim Ruchis are going to continue to bring the word, and we're going to kind of do it as a team. And uh, yeah, come on. And each one of us are kind of unique in the way that we approach the gospel and the different facets of that. And it's, I always feel like the scriptures are like a diamond. If, if you turn it, you see it in a different way, but it's still the same thing. And so each one of us offers a different perspective, and I think it's, it makes for a healthy church. Come on, to hear from multiple voices. So none of them are going away, but I am coming back in to speak to you, um, you know, here. And, and I'm so excited to be here and to be a part of that. Roger, it's good to see you. I have to say hi. Crazy. I was in New York City a couple weeks ago. Roger, um, Roger lives down here and lives up uh, in New York City with his, uh, with his sweetheart and literally walking the streets of Manhattan, 8 million people. And I walk and I run into him. <laughs> and he was like, what are you doing here? <laughs> it's, it's good to see you, my friend. Love you. And what do you say? Oh, I'll talk louder. I'm being a little wimpy. I'll get louder. So today we're going to talk about something that I believe that every one of us have. So we're going to do a little quick test. How many of you in this room have ever struggled with fear? Those of you that don't have your hand raised or afraid of admitting in public you struggle with fear, and that in and of itself is a fear, all right? Gotcha. All of us. Every single one of us struggle with fear. Every single one of us, um, fear has become a, at times, very destructive, uh, very negative force in our life that's caused us to do things, say things, or not do things, or not say things, that we know deep down inside um, that, that God wants to be different in our lives. And, and so we're going to learn about fear today, and I'm going to end today's message with a very practical tool, a step-by-step -step tool that you can walk out of here with, that you can overcome and defeat fear in your life. And so let's establish a couple of things together. Uh, uh, the first thing is, is that fear, um, the opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is fear. And the two of them cannot coexist. They cannot be in the same place. And every morning when you wake up or I wake up, every single morning we have one mind but two choices. And those choices are whether we're going to allow our mind to be occupied by love or by fear. They cannot coexist. The other thing I want to establish before I get into this is that fear is always destructive. There is no such thing as healthy fear. Sometimes we say to people, well, that's probably a healthy fear. No, it's one thing to have respect for what something can do to you negatively, 
or, or you can get hurt or whatever it may be. But it's another thing to allow it to become a fear in your life that overtakes your emotions, your thoughts, your actions, etc. And so there is no such thing as healthy fear. There's the fear of the Lord is the only thing that the Bible talks about that's healthy, but we're not talking about something that grips you and scares you and causes nightmare and depression and all that kind of stuff. Any type of fear is destructive. It always leads to the same place. Amen? And so let's talk about this idea of fear. Uh, the, the scriptures say that the enemy is seeking or is actively seeking for those that he can devour. So there's certain types of people or situations the enemy is searching for that he can pick people off in. And as we go through the scriptures, we can kind of get an idea of, of what the enemy is looking for in the people he's trying to pick off. And we can easily say, well, he's after everybody. That's true. But there is one particular person that the enemy knows is easy prey, is easy kill. It's like a lion in a herd. The, it, it, you're protected in the herd. You're protected in community. You're protected around like-minded people. But the one person, the one type of situation that the enemy is really looking for is the person that is isolated. So when he's seeking who he's going to devour, he's looking for those that are isolated. And fear usually starts or is bred in an environment of isolation. And so when you are isolated, the enemy moves in and fear becomes your operating system. It's not love anymore, it's fear. Um, interesting that, uh, and we'll get to this at the end, but interesting that the Lord said in the very beginning in Genesis, he said, when he made uh, a helpmate for Adam, he actually said, it's not good for man to be alone. And so then he said, I'm sending a helper. And we always think about helper in terms of a spouse. But then later on, when Jesus, and we're going to get this at the end, when Jesus uh, left this earth, he also said, I'm going to leave something to you. And he referred to it as the great helper. Come on. So from the very beginning, God knew that man should not be alone. Even if you're alone in life, as in you don't have a spouse, a mate, boyfriend, girlfriend, you should not be alone. And so we're going to talk about that idea as we conquer and overcome fear in our lives. There's one theme that runs throughout the scriptures when the Bible talks about not being afraid. One particular theme over and over and over again that you're going to find as I read these scriptures. And there's so many, there's not enough time. And the guys in the back are going to keep up with me because I give them cookies at the end of service. So, and that one on the right, your left, loves cookies. Right? Didn't you try to get transferred out of the deli to the bakery or no? That's sweet of you. So let's look at this. Isaiah 35, 4, it says, Say to those with an anxious heart. Anyone ever had an anxious heart? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, this is probably the least honest group of people in Sarasota this morning. <laughs> Maybe I'm going to switch my message to honesty, all right? Um, Take courage, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. The recompense of God will come, and he will save you. Another version of this says, tell fearful souls, take courage, or courage, take heart, for God is here. He's right here on his way to put things right and redress all wrongs. He is on his way and he'll save you. We're going to see this theme for a moment. Okay, see if you can pick it out here. John 14, 27, 
Peace I leave with you. Peace I give to you. Not as this world do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. Joshua 1.9. I have not commanded you. Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Psalm 23.4. You guys should know that. Uh, in Psalms 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. It's the opposite of isolation. When we see God destroying or overcoming fear, we will always see that he is promising to be with us. Because he knows as long as he is with us, the enemy can't isolate us. Come on. All right, we're going to get somewhere. Y'all are in it. All right. Romans 8, 38 through 39. Again, I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that pretty much sums up almost every major fear you and I have. So here's all these fearful things, and he's saying that nothing can separate you from the love of God, which means as long as we are not separated and isolated, and we are in that place of love with our Father, fear cannot control or attack us. Think about this for a moment. Folks sometimes think that fear chooses you. Fear never chooses you. You choose fear. Yeah, but this thing came up, this thing happened, something happened, I, 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 I'm so anxious, blah, 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 blah. Fear did not choose you, you chose fear. Fear is a prison that you can live in or live outside of. Whether or not you stay in that prison is up to you. I can make a conscious decision at any moment, no matter what's going on in my life, crazy, people could be mean, I could have a million things I'm worried about, and in that moment, I can make a decision, I will stay in prison in fear, or I will walk out in love. I will act and respond and treat the world around me from a place of love, or I will act and respond and allow my thoughts to be controlled by fear. That is your choice, and your choice only. I didn't say this in the first service, and you're going to get a bonus in the second service. Uh, it's something I did want to say, but I didn't say it, and that's this. I want to tell you flat out right now, if you're fearful, it's nobody else's fault but yours. Oh, Heavenly Father, Lord, I'm so glad we took the offering up. No one likes to hear it's my fault. It is nobody else's fault but yours. It's the enemy's fault. No, the enemy created a situation and presented you with a prison. But honey, child, if you walk in there and lock yourself in, it's your fault. The enemy has no power to control your actions. It's not like the devil has you like a puppet and he's like, go, you're now afraid into the prison of fear. And you're like, oh my gosh, I don't know what I'm doing. All right. So the only way fear can control you is if you lock yourself in the prison of fear and isolate yourself, and then you hand over the control of your life to fear. And now fear ravages your thoughts, your emotions, your decisions, your actions. That's the only way it can happen is you make a choice. And I'm going to get to it at the end. You make a choice because you buy into the lie that fear tells you, and I'm going to tell you what that lie is. When you buy into the lie that fear tells you, I'm going to get to it right now. Y'all want to know what the lie that fear tells you is? The lie that fear tells you is simply this. The lie that fear tells you is, I am protecting you. 
Fear is always whispering in your ear, I am protecting you. I, I thought about this for, for the last couple of months. I, I've been thinking about fear and, and the elements of fear over and over and over again. And I kept asking the Lord, if we know it's destructive, if we know it harms our health, harms relationships, harms our ability to, to work on the job, harms our thought patterns, causes depression, causes sickness, causes this, causes that. Why do we let it stick around? And the Lord spoke to me so clearly. He said, because people buy into the lie that it's protecting them. And so although they know it's evil, they think it's a necessary evil to protect them. So I go into protection mode, thinking that I am indeed protecting myself. But I promise you, I have heard and seen and, and, and heard the stories of people allowing fear to overcome them to a point where they put a bullet in their head or they take a bottle of pills. How well did fear protect you then? So the lie is this, I'm protecting you. The truth is I'm destroying you from the inside out, from your mind and your heart and your emotions. I am destroying you and probably destroying the people around you. That's the lie. And so when we buy into the lie that although I know it's evil, and I don't feel good and I'm anxious and now I'm doing this and I'm doing that and I'm responding this way and I'm angry or whatever it is. And we buy into the lie, we go, I know all this bad stuff is happening, but at least I'm safe. That's the lie. And the truth of the matter is you will never be more unsafe than when you are controlled by fear. And you will never be safer than when you are operating from a place of love. You ever been mad at somebody or they've done something to you and they've created fear and anxiety in your heart and life and you just want to walk up to them and be like, let me tell you a thing or two. Come here, I'm going to just tell you what I think. You ever been that way? Just me? Lord have mercy, we're going to get truth pills and feed them young lay in. Forget, forget crackers for communion. We're going to get something that makes you tell the truth around here. <laughs> truth serum. You know... If you've ever been there, you've ever been in that place where you're looking at people and being like, I'm going to tell you what I think, right? In that place, that feels good in the moment because we think we're in control. And so when somebody has offended us or caused fear or has created a situation in our life, instead of establishing a healthy boundary and responding out of love and kindness, we get mean because ultimately we're afraid. By the way, I've never done this before. Ever since this morning. <laughs> so we get mean, we get, we, get, uh, we get full of bitterness, we pull back, we isolate, and then fear has its way with us, and it's this cycle over and over and over again. But meanwhile, we think we're in control, and we've never been more out of control. Meanwhile, we think we're being protected, and we've never been more unsafe. Because in that moment, walking up to that person and responding in love, feels completely unsafe. What if they don't respond to me? What if they don't accept it? What if they continue to be that way to me? Then what? But really what you do is you take back the control of your own thoughts and emotions and actions the minute you shift from fear to love. Now you've put him in the driver's seat. And the enemy's not controlling your life anymore. It's a great lie. People hold back from 
business decisions. They hold back from relationship stuff. They hold back from all sorts of stuff because they are afraid. Meanwhile, God's screaming to bless you, screaming to prosper you, screaming to bring good things into your life, but you're imprisoned ourselves in a place of fear, and all of that is being held back because ultimately we are afraid, and our our fear projects in all these other things that are smoke screens, and so in that moment, people are like, what's his problem? Why is he this? Why is she this? What's going on with that? The baseline is, I'm afraid. If somebody's acting out of line or acting angry or bitter or isolated or withdrawn or whatever it may be, I promise you the one question that'll get to the root of what they're at is, what are you afraid of? And some of us need to ask ourselves that. I'm going to give you a solution here at the end. I've been working with uh, Nick Walenda, which has been awesome. Him and his sister are going to make history in Times Square on June, Times Square on June 23rd. They're going to be walking 250 feet above Times Square, 1,300 feet long, about a quarter of a mile. And Liana, his sister, two years ago, fell off of a eight-person pyramid. They were breaking a world record right here in Sarasota. You might have remembered the news. She fell and literally landed on her face from 40 feet high. She broke every bone in her face, broke her arm, broke a bunch of bones in her foot. Um, uh, she's had multiple surgeries on the way to the hospital. They didn't think she was going to live. She has over 70 plates and screws in her face from falling off the wire. And lately, um, she started off on a lower wire and lately at Menderson Park this last week and then next week too, they're gonna be doing the same thing. They've been practicing at height. And she was very timid when she got up there. And if you were out there, you would see it was taking her 19, 20 minutes to go the 500, a foot long um, uh, wire um, distance. It's taking about 19 or 20 minutes. So even the, the ABC who's covering the event was adjusting their entire schedule because it was taking her longer to walk than they expected, you know, per foot. And so they're readjusting their entire broadcast that night so they can fit in everything in two hours because they think the walk's gonna take longer than it should. So all these negotiations are going back and forth and what do we cut and all this stuff that's being readjusted. And she's been dealing with the fear of getting on the wire and seeing what she saw two years ago to make it even a little crazier. There's a circle on the ground, a big giant circle underneath where that wire is and that's exactly where the tent was that she fell. So she's literally, there's so much symbolism here, she's literally walking over top of the very thing that tried to take her out. Some of you need to walk over top of the things that have tried to take you out. And so she's been timid and, and she's amazing and she's brave and she's incredible um, to do this. It's a dream come true, I know, for her, but she was very timid and it was taking her a long time. She was walking slow. Well, one morning, one morning she woke up and she decided, I'm not the girl who broke every bone in my face. I'm not the girl that fell off the wire. I'm not the girl that made international news as the one that almost died. I'm not the girl, all you go on and on and on and on, full of fear. She woke up one morning and said to herself, after eight generations of my family walking the wire, I have the blood of a wire walker running through my veins. And in about 36 hours of time, she went from 19 or 20 minutes to 10 minutes. She cut her time in half. Why? Did some muscle thing kick in? No, because she finally realized who she was. 
and what she was and fear began to leave when she began to fall back in love with the identity of who God created her to be. Come on. And I'm telling you right now, Jesus wants to breathe new life into who you think you are. And everything that has caused fear in your life goes back to one thing. Isolate you and lie to you and make you think that you are something you are not. And to tell you, no one's ever gone through what you've gone through. I've got uh, some news for you. There is nothing you will ever face that somebody else hasn't made it through. Come on. And some of the ones that made it through were dumber and uglier than you. All right? So there's good news. There's good... There's good news for you and me. There's no fear that you can't overcome reconnecting with who God created you to be. I, I'm going to get to the practical part of this in a moment, but I want to hit a couple quick things. What time is it? 12.08. Uh, how many of you have a fear about money? Uh, you're not admitting that you're poor if you raise your hand, okay? <laughs> Besides, if you've got a Rolex on, you can flash it, all right? I have a nice watch. I don't always wear it, but my man over here gave me a nice watch. It's in my bag right over there. I just randomly pull it out and just show people, look at this watch. <laughs> and then I walk away like a boss. So thank you for that. He's not giving any of you watches, so don't hit him up, all right? Uh, it's, it's not a Rolex. It's better than Rolex. I'm not going to tell you what it is. Just gonna have to guess. That bag is locked away. <laughs> I'm not telling you. <laughs> so, so, anyways, so if you have a fear about money, Hebrews 13, 5 through 6 says this. It says, Don't give money a prominent place in your thoughts. Realize what you already have is priceless. He has said that he will never quit on you or abandon you. Do you see this pattern? Every time there's a fear about something, God reminds you he's still with you. I'm reading that right, right? Yeah, yeah, every time. Every time he talks about fear, the, he replaces it with, by the way, you don't have to fear. Why? Not because you're just so strong and mentally tough. Because I'm with you. And I, I, uh, if you've never watched this, uh, this video clip, I YouTube it today. You're going to love it. it is, uh, it's called the Hamilton Challenge, and it's with Stephen Furtick and T.D. Jakes. I don't know about you, but when T.D. Jakes just talks, I want to repent and get right with God. <laughs> He's got this voice that just makes you feel the glory, all right? I just want to jump off a mountain and fly in the air. I don't know what it is about his voice. But it's, it's just one of those voices. He could be the guy at the McDonald's uh, thing being like, how may I help you today? I'd be like, Jesus, I'm sorry, Lord. I was going to order an extra large fry, but I'm going to just trim this down to a medium or a small. Lord, I repent for my gluttonous behavior. Right? You get up there, it's Bishop Jake's. So watch that clip. But one of the things he said that I love about God never abandoning you is he talked about when Jesus came to the little girl that was dying and she was laying out and he went in and he cast everyone out of the room. 
And he said some great things about it because one of the Hamilton from the movie, or from the, the play Hamilton, one of the song, they were using song titles and then he had to preach a two-minute sermon. So you'll get to see like five or six of them in like 10 minutes. It's really cool. But one of the song titles is In the Room. So he started preaching about In the Room and I can't do it justice, but he started preaching about In the Room and he said, I'm taken to a place when Jesus is in the room with a girl that is dead who is lying there. Her family's been mourning over her death. She's cold and stiff and he casts everybody out of the room, but Jesus is still in the room. And he said, I can imagine the people on the outside of the room that are beginning to hear the, 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 what is it, the scampering of little feet. They say, that doesn't sound like the the feet of Jesus. That sounds like the feet of a little girl beginning to scamper. Wait a second. I was just in there a little while ago in the room, and I felt her. She was cold. She was dead. There was no coming back. She had no color left in her face. We were preparing uh, the arrangements for her funeral. But now I hear the scampering of little feet. And the message is this. If everyone in your life leaves the room, as long as he is still in the room and hasn't abandoned you, you have nothing to fear. There is nothing that is too dead or too far gone because when he is in the room, perfect love casts out all fear. And when fear goes, life returns. And everything in your life and mine that you're worried about, love will revive. Come on, there is a revival in your heart and soul that is coming because Jesus is still in the room. Oh, you, you got to hear him preach it now. And he said this, he said this, he says, so to those of you that have walked out of the room of my life, It's okay, because Jesus is still in the room. Come on, you need to turn to your neighbor and say, Jesus is still in the room. (laughs) And if you're a preacher, you will want to quit immediately after watching that sermon. (laughs) I just love it, I love it, I love it, because it all comes back to what I'm getting to here in a moment. It all comes back to this, it's this idea of what he has finally done once and for all for us and what he's accomplished on the cross. I'm gonna get to that. But the second fear, and the last one I'm gonna talk about today, is the fear of people and their opinions. Y'all have experienced that? Surely not in church. No, what I was saying is Shirley's not in church. That's what I was saying. I don't know where she is today. No, really think about it. The fear of people's opinions. How many times do we operate from a place of what we are fearful about what somebody's going to think rather than subjecting it to the relationship we have with the Lord and what he says over our life? Come on. Come on. Well, I just, I'm worried about, you know, what, what, is, what is my boss, my coworker, my this, my that, my mom, my dad, my son, my brother, whatever it may be. What kind of watch I'm wearing? Thanks for calling me out there, buddy. <laughs> How many times do we operate from a place of fear because we're... Uh-oh. 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 I hit my rejection button. Now I'm fearful. <laughs> Lord, are you cutting me off? You're rejecting this message. How many times do we... We, we respond, we act, we think, we, 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 or we don't respond, or we don't act, or we don't think, or whatever it is, creates a negative, destructive pattern in our life because we're worried about what people think. But I love what God says here in 1 Peter 3, 13 through 15. He says, who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? 
But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear their intimidation. Do not be troubled. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts and always being ready to make a defense. Everyone's like, yeah, I'm going to defend myself. You have an opinion of me? Bring your opinion over here. I'm going to dress it down. I've got a 10-point list to show you you're wrong. Anybody do lists? Point number one, you're wrong. Point number two, here's another reason you're wrong. Point number three, wrong. Point number four, really, really wrong. Point number five, here's a mirror. Guess who's wrong? Right? No, 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 no. That's not the defense he's talking about. He says this. He says, uh, <laughs> he says, do not fear intimidation, do not be troubled, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is inside of you. Whoa. Yet with gentleness and reverence. So you want to set this up? At the end of the day, Jesus has paid the price for you to be guilty or not guilty. But your response is the same. And when you try to defend yourself, you will, you will create a situation where fear becomes your operating system. Because why do I defend myself? Because I'm fearful of what you think. Why would you defend yourself? Because you're fearful of what somebody thinks. So the minute you defend yourself, what you're saying is, I'm going to respond out of fear, not out of love. So what does he say to do here? He's saying defend yourself, but defend it by giving an account of the hope that is inside of you. Which is, I know you have an opinion of me, but let me tell you what his opinion is of me. There is something on the inside of me that's greater than anything I've ever done or you think I've done. Come on, you need to figure this out for yourself. And so anybody who has an opinion of your life is subject to the hope that is inside of you. And I got news for you. There is nothing you have done, will do, have ever done that can stand up to the hope and the promise of God inside of you. I'm telling you right now, there are so many people in this room who are living testimonies that the hope of Jesus was greater than people's opinions, that the hope that is inside of them is greater than what people think or say. And I'm telling you, Jesus is enough to pull you out of the pit of fear and worry and self-loathing and set you firmly on the rock that is Jesus. Come on, Calvary was enough to set you free from all of that and for you to finally operate from a place of love. I'm, I feel like preaching right now. I feel like preaching right now. I feel like preaching because there is so much fear that has overcome us and I'm telling you, fear has to go when you embrace what he is inside of you. One of you, some of you are going to take a lap with him one time, all right? Tucker, someone needs to take a lap with you. This is, I'm tired of you doing this on your own. I've been preaching about being isolated. You can't be isolated running. All right. Let's go. Well, I'll take a lap with you. Come on. Here we go. Come on, turn to your neighbor and tell him, fear us to go. That's harder than it looks. All right. Okay, that's... How are you not out of breath when you do that? 
My computer's dead. I don't even care. All right. I'm sorry. Oh, Jesus. I believe right now. If you've ever had fear, you need to stand up right now in the name of Jesus. The anointing is here to break fear. Hallelujah. You better stand up and do it right now. It's got to go. You gotta claim who you are in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Come on, right? The answer to God. One plus God has always been the majority. Come on, right now, if you've struggled with fear, I want you to put your hand on your chest right now and say, the hope that is inside of me is greater than any fear. Come on, one more time. The hope that is inside of me is greater than any fear. All right, sit down. I'm going to close with the practical steps here. And so this is what God showed me, and I want, to, I want to give you this as we end today. This is the one, two, three. This is the practical stuff. This is the stuff I want you to take home with you. I, it's great to feel like God has conquered fear, but he actually is a practical God. And we always say if it's not practical, it's, pro- or, uh, if it's, not practical, it's probably not spiritual. Spiritual things are practical. And so I want to show you the practical steps here that, that God gave me as a pattern to get rid of fear in your life. It's more than just saying a prayer. Prayer helps, but there's something you need to change in your mind about what fear is doing to you. Number one, you need to address and realize that fear is always destructive. It's never helpful. Come on. We've established that in the beginning. Number two, you have to admit that you're fearful. Because the two things that we do that allow fear to stay is we admit that we don't have it. Okay, this isn't what about Bob? If you fake it, then I don't have it, right? You have to admit that you have it. Own it, what it is. Say it out of your mouth or write it down or whatever the way you process. If you can't tell with me, it's probably saying it out of my mouth. Externally processing it. Describe it. Say, I am afraid of this. Now, now, it's not a gender thing, but men are more likely to usually to say, act like we're not afraid. But so we get angry and defensive, mean, condescending, but we're not afraid. Right? Get back in the house. I'm not afraid of anything. It's like, well, you've been trying to replace that oil filter for about six hours. So right now I think you're dealing with the fear of rejection for not being able to do it or failure. So let's just just confront the fact that you're afraid you're going to fail and you're going to have to call your buddy over to fix that oil filter on your car, right? I'm not afraid of nothing. I'll just get this thing done. Okay. So you have to admit, hey, I've got this fear, fear of failure, fear of rejection, fear of people not liking me, fear of whatever it is. And it's real. So it sticks around because we ignore it. Or the second thing is, we think it's a necessary part of surviving. That's not the answer either. It's in the middle. Yes, I have it. Number one. Not afraid to admit I'm fearful. Name it. Then I want you to take that fear and take the worst case scenario in your life for that fear. What's the worst that can happen? Don't stay there. Don't dwell on it. Maybe don't write that one down. But I want you to think about what's the worst case scenario. I'm afraid my boss doesn't think I'm doing enough, a good enough job. I'm afraid they don't feel like I'm contributing enough. He's made a couple comments. She's made a couple comments. And so I'm really afraid that I'm going to lose my job. 
not gonna have the money to pay for my bills. In that moment, you have a choice. I'm afraid. Now we take what he's done and we say, Jesus, what have you done on the cross to overcome my worst case scenario? Now this sounds simple, but I'm telling you it works. I've done it in my own life. You take what is the worst case scenario and say, Jesus, have you done enough to overcome my worst case scenario? In other words, if the worst thing possible could happen in this fearful situation, are you enough? I had one of my greatest moments of breakthrough uh, just in my own personal life, I don't know, maybe five or six months ago. And uh, I was just in bed and I was emotional and just crying out to God. And I said, Lord, you know, giving him all the reasons that I felt abandoned and by him and like you didn't hear me and just how many of you know that no matter if you're a pastor or preacher or not you struggle with these thoughts when it comes to God and your relationship and so I was like Lord what is going on and I just was like and all I could hear him say over and over and over again to me in that moment and it makes me emotional to even think about it. all I could hear him saying to me is he just kept saying to me over and over and over again I'll never forget it. I couldn't get an answer. He kept on saying to me, am I still good? I was like, are you? I, I mean, I had a full-on conversation with what appeared from the outside world, the air, but with God. Literally talking. Are you? And I gave him all the reasons that I didn't think he'd been good to me. And I'm like waiting for a response, like God's gonna argue with me, right? Like I'm gonna pull him into my web of argument. And he was like, I was like, what's your answer? And all he kept saying to me was, am I still good? In other words, if everything that I am and everything that I've put inside of you, is it enough to overcome what you're feeling? This is where I got this from. I was like, I don't know. So for 30 minutes, like three o'clock in the morning, I have this argument with God. And I'm trying to like get him to engage with me outside of that dumb question over and over and over again. And all he would say is, am I still good? You can say all the time, but I wasn't feeling all the time, all right? It was three in the morning and I was feeling like he wasn't good, right? And after 30 minutes of arguing, I finally came to the place where I said, <coughs> reluctantly, yeah, you're still good. And then he said, then what are you worried about? And in that moment, it was this total shift, and it was this. Son, I'm taking you from a place of fear to a place of love. I love you. You love me. My hope is living on the inside of you. And in this moment, you are no longer going to fear what tomorrow looks like because now you've stepped into a place where you believe that you are enough and that what I've put inside of you is enough. And I love you in this moment. And in that moment, I realized that not only is he good, but everything Jesus did for you and I is enough for anything happening in your life. And no matter where you are or what's going on, he 
He is enough and he is still good. So if your boss gives you the pink slip, maybe you've been running and been a part of something that the Lord was trying to get you out of a long time ago and get you into something better and you wouldn't listen and hear him. So he had to create a situation in your life so he could get you out of that situation and get you into something better. Because at the end of the day, because Jesus died and he is enough, he wants you to prosper. He wants you to be successful. He wants you to have good health and he's paid the price for all of it in your life. Come on, some people are getting fear just completely taken off their shoulders. Folks are getting set free right now. You might as well join in and let yourself be free. Come on. Come on, take whatever you're afraid of right now and say, Jesus, are you enough to overcome my worst case? Come on, tell him right now. So ask him, say, Jesus, are you enough? I promise you the answer is yes today. I'm going to end with this. That's all right. People are going to get set free. That's fine. We want that to happen here this morning. I, I want to end with this. If we today leave here and allow fear to continue to be part of the operating system of our life, we will always find ourselves in destructive patterns, internally or externally, all right? If we learn to operate from a place where our operating system becomes love, kindness, and when we defend ourselves, we defend ourselves from a place of an account of the hope that is inside of us, you will find out that your whole entire world will change. The song that's popular now is Fear is a Liar. But what I don't like about that song is I didn't consult with Pastor Dan about what that lie is. Fear is a liar, and the lie is I'm protecting you. We know the truth. It's destroying us. And the only thing that will keep us safe and in a place where the God can continue to allow us to be everything we're supposed to be is if we step out of fear and embrace love. The two cannot coexist, and you have a choice right now when you leave here. Which one, my one mind, can embrace one choice? What will it be? There is no mixture of the two. Let's choose love. Not just our love, but his love. Let's choose love.